0: Good morning. Glad to have you with us on Gary on Guns. Uh, Larry Wayland is in from Modern Arms. The
1: Brown Station location.
0: And he is uh, he's alone in the studio, uh, and Scott Van Kirk is there, too. There you go. <laughs> sitting right uh, across from the Brown Station location. <laughs> Stick around. I want to be alone. Scott Van Kirk is a terrific firearms trainer. He's former law enforcement Second Amendment supporter and friend of the show. Uh, And we are, I am pleased to tell you, uh, we have uh, Dr. John R. Lott with us. Uh, Most famous book was uh, More Guns, Less Crime. Uh, And he has a a website, crimeresearch.org. Please go there. Please donate so we can continue uh, doing the research that he's done. Uh, He's got a piece at uh, Real Clear Politics. Although one wouldn't know it from the media coverage of Gun Control, the best social science... Has shown that law abiding citizens frequently deter criminals. But when ideology trumps facts, policymakers are easily led astray. The latest example is occurring in Brazil, where a massive increase in gun ownership in recent years has prompted gun control advocates to reinterpret the data in ways that conform to their political views. John, welcome back to the program. What's going on in Brazil?
2: uh it's it's great to talk to you again gary uh well uh Brazil has had an experiment over the last four years that uh the media and a lot of public health experts said was going to end in disaster uh if you go back in uh in the in january twenty nineteen uh bolsonaro became president of Brazil and uh he worked hard over the next four years to greatly uh, relax a lot of the regulations that were there with regard to guns. Um, and in fact, there was about a, over a 600 percent increase in the number of people that uh, legally owned guns in Brazil. Um, uh, and at the same time, uh, homicide rates fell by 34 in, percent in the country. We don't have the data for this last year, but they probably continued the drop at that point.
0: Oh, no, and, no. That uh, It can't possibly be. There should be blood in the streets everywhere when more people own guns. That's what I always hear. Right.
2: Well, right, well uh, that's what the national media and that's what a lot of experts were saying. If you go back and look at the news media coverage from The New York Times or National Public Radio or The Wall Street Journal or uh, international coverage with The Guardian or uh, uh, other news outlets around the world... Uh, They were all predicting that uh, there was going to be disaster, that uh, Brazil in 2018, the year before Bolsonaro became president, had a murder rate of about 27 uh, per 100,000 people. Uh, It was one of the highest murder rates for any developed country in the world. Um, And, uh, you know, you have public health people, even the Washington Post, even now, uh, is continuing to cite people with public health people with regard to Brazil, claiming that uh, for each one percent increase in gun ownership, uh, you should have a zero point six percent increase in homicides. And you know, if you if that was true, with over a six hundred percent increase in gun ownership in Brazil, you should have had a three hundred and sixty percent increase in homicide rates. Uh, rather than the 34% drop that you actually observed. Uh, but, you know, they have all sorts of mental gymnastics that they're trying to do now. You know, they were very explicit. They were ex- predicting certain things, and it's very clear that that didn't happen. So rather than going and saying, well, you know, maybe we were wrong uh in terms of the relationship between guns and crime, uh they are coming up with all sorts of excuses they'll say things like well uh the percent of the population between ages 12 and 29 declined by four percentage points and that's the high crime age group well you know the thing is uh it's not like all of a sudden people are caught by surprise that people between 12 and 29 make up a slightly less portion of the population you know that you knew that years before him because you could see who was born uh in the country um and yet even knowing that they were still predicting this huge massive increase uh in homicide rates that were occurring and that obviously didn't happen uh there were other similar points that they raised they they point out that uh some parts of brazil were having increased expenditures on policing And that's true, but that was something, as they acknowledged, was occurring for a decade beforehand, and yet the drop occurred after Bolsonaro became president. And more importantly, to me anyway, is that uh, uh, this drop occurred across the country. Uh, The the increase in uh, police expenditures were only occurring in certain parts of the country. And yet, even in places where they didn't have that, and look, anybody who's read my work knows that I think policing uh, is probably the single most important factor for reducing crime. And I think it it did help. But the point is they're having drops even in those parts of the country uh, where they didn't have any increasing in, increase in policing. And they had this increase, this big increase in gun ownership. Unfortunately, you know, right now, Uh, one of the reasons why the Washington Post and everybody else is going out and and making all this kind of mental gymnastics is that the new president of uh, Brazil, Lula, uh, is promising to ban guns. Uh, His first executive order uh, as president uh, was to go and ban the sale of ammunition uh, and uh, he's frozen gun ownership, you can't buy any more guns, and uh, people that own more than three guns now have to turn in the guns, uh, more than three that they have, and he's set up a commission uh, to go and uh, eliminate all the increase in gun ownership that occurred during Bolsonaro's presidency. So, uh, you know, uh, uh, the gun control advocates may have to eat crow a second time very shortly.
3: Uh, Scott questions um, well no I mean it's always fascinating to listen to you doctor um, it's I'm just over here and my my brain just continues to churn on how the uh, the anti gunners and the uh, individuals who are supposed es- experts in the field of, of violence and crime can can equate causation and to can take correlation and assign it to causation and there's are so capable of doing that flip-flop on both sides of an issue well, I mean, the the is in the data. Yeah. The correlation
2: the correlation isn't even going in the direction that they were claiming.
3: No, so any amount. so then they'll then they'll switch to causation and say, "Well, the cause of that is the fact that this population is lower and this is this and this is, you know, these are the, all the reasons why our data data doesn't correlate." But then if they can flip it around and say, "Oh, well, obviously we can we can support our argument with some sort of correlation that doesn't have a causation and then they'll flip it back on our side if you understand so no matter what happens right they're, you lose whatever no matter what happens they've got an excuse for why what they're telling you doesn't come to fruition or um doesn't make any sense because literally i'm i'm a i'm of at least average intelligence sitting here smarter and than <laughs> average and my head is just spinning with everything that um, you just talked about as it relates to brazil i just can't believe them and it's not i mean but they still continue to do it it's
1: yeah it, it's that constant march <laughs> forward and you know the idea of, of capping gun ownership at three what that's, that's offensive to me. I, I feel I, so much safer. <laughs> <laughs> Three's a good start. Come on. So, John, what you're
0: predicting then, if, I'm not, if I understand you correctly, is that if, in fact, they, uh, they pull back handguns, uh, they, they restrict the ability of uh, Brazilians to protect and defend themselves, that they will see an increase in, uh, in uh, shootings and violent crime.
2: I don't think the move to reducing it to three guns per person is going to have a big impact. But I think if they go and take away uh the licenses to own guns from from a lot of the people that do own guns, yeah, I think it's going to be counterproductive. I think it's going to make it – look, you can make it risky for criminals to commit crime in many ways. Higher arrest rates, higher conviction rates, longer prison sentences – All those things make it risky for criminals to commit crimes, and criminals are like anybody else. If you make it riskier for them to go and do something, they're going to do less of it. But allowing law-abiding individuals to be able to go and protect themselves and their families with a gun also makes it riskier for criminals to go and commit crime and also reduces uh, the amount of crime. And if they go and and move forward to actually take away a lot of the guns so one of the things that he's likely to do soon uh is there used to be a psychological test that you had to take and they also had a lot more discretion in terms of determining whether or not to give out a license and so uh lula uh is talking about putting in the psychological test for all those who got guns essentially make them reapply for their license um and uh uh, he's gonna go and uh put in these kind of arbitrary kind of uh subjective decisions on on people getting guns now the issue is going to be is he going to just take away the licenses that are already there or is he going to or is he going to uh make it so that, uh, you know, gradually over time, you know, starting in a couple of years, uh, he's going to start reducing uh, the gun ownership.
0: I'll be curious to see what their excuse is when things go the wrong way. Dr. John Lott is with us, crimeresearch.org. He's got a piece up at Real Clear Politics. You wrote in this column that every time across the world that all guns or all handguns are banned, murder rates rise Can I get you to hang on through a commercial break and talk a little bit about that before I let you go?
2: Sure. Happy to do that.
0: All right. Dr. John Lott, our guest on Gary on Guns. (laughs) Welcome. Glad to have you on Gary on Guns. Larry Whelan is in from Modern Arms. At
1: the Brown Station location. And uh, Scott
0: Van Kirk, is on board with us as well. And uh, we are pleased to tell you that Dr. John Lott is with us. Uh, He has a piece up at Real Clear Politics. You can also read it at his website, crimeresearch.org. Uh, talking about what's going on in Brazil, and it's really just another example of what's going on here. Uh, one of the parts, one of the things that uh, John wrote in his column is every time across the world that all guns or all handguns are banned, murder rates rise. Uh, and I asked him to hang on an extra couple of minutes just to go into some detail on that. Um, all handguns, it, it, it doesn't matter, guns or handguns, every time it goes... Yeah, the it
2: Right. Every time you find that either all guns or all handguns have been banned, uh, murder rates rise. I mean, Americans are familiar with it with regard to Washington, D.C. and Chicago. uh, But usually gun control advocates will say, well, those weren't fair tests, because unless you go and you ban guns every place in the country, you know, people can still go to Maryland or Virginia or the rest of Illinois or Indiana uh, to go and obtain guns, of course. They could have done that before the bans. Uh, it doesn't really explain why uh, murder rates went up. It may explain why it didn't go down as much as that they were originally predicting. And it would have been nice if they had kind of shared people with the notion that they thought it would fail. But uh, the thing is, you can look around the world. Even whole countries that have banned either all guns or all handguns or even island nations that have done so. Have seen large increases in murder rates and violent crime rates after the bans have gone into effect and there's a simple reason for that and and this applies to more than just bans you have to be careful that when you go and pass a gun control rule that you're not primarily going to be disarming law-abiding citizens that are there not the criminals so if you go and you pass a ban you may make it marginally more difficult for criminals to go and get guns, but it's going to be the most law-abiding good citizens who are going to be the ones who turn in their guns. And the reason why you see these increases every time is that if you primarily disarm the law-abiding good citizens relative to the criminals, you're making it easier for criminals to go and commit crimes. Uh, And so it's not too surprising that you see what could be, you know, two, three-fold, four, even seven-fold increases in murder rates that occur right after these bans. In effect, even in island nations where they have, you know, no neighbor, they can't go and easily blame for uh, supplying the guns. I mean, can can well, you give me an
0: example of an I mean, island nation?
2: Uh, well, where you, they- have, you, you have Jamaica, you have uh, Ireland, you have... Uh, the u k uh, you know in uh, in the u k after they had the handgun ban in uh, january ninety seven uh, within eight years afterwards they had a fifty percent increase in the homicide rate there um, you had uh, uh, probably about a seven fold increase in the homicide rate in Jamaica after they had their gun ban uh, similarly with the Republic of Ireland uh so I mean, those are just some of the examples but look uh uh you know, I think Mexico provides our neighbor provides an interesting example. they didn't have a complete ban, but in nineteen seventy two uh they limited it to only one gun store in the country it's run by the military in mexico city uh the most powerful gun that you've been able to legally buy in Mexico since uh since uh Uh, 1972 is a bolt action 22 caliber short round rifle uh that's not the type of gun that the drug gangs use cartels use in mexico uh mexico's murder rate has more than doubled uh after they had uh those that regulation put into effect and uh there are a number of years in recent years where mexico's uh murder rate has been six times higher than the murder rate that you have in the united states what's happened is is that less than one tenth of one percent of the adult population in mexico is legally licensed to own a gun um and uh the criminals have still been able to go and get guns they bring in weapons from around the world uh just as they bring in the illegal drugs that they get from the rest of the world uh, they also steal guns from the Mexican military. Uh, but, you know, the notion that somehow uh, having that draconian regulations, and they have all sorts of other regulations. You can't sell your gun to somebody else. You only, you can only give it back to the government. Uh, you can't inherit a gun from somebody. Uh, you have to go and buy it directly from the government if they allow you to do that. Uh, it costs over $2,000 just to apply permit and there's no guarantee that you're going to be able to go and be given it uh, when you apply in Mexico
0: so none of that none of that works uh, you'd think that we would learn here in this country uh, that it just doesn't work in fact it works the wrong way dr. John Lott, crime org on the world wide Web John thank you for being with us again
2: great talking to you thanks for having me on
0: all right take care uh, Wait, we're not done. we got another guest coming up. In defense of the Second Amendment, uh, Larry Correa is going to be on board with us. Uh, this is uh, perhaps uh, a book that will give us the arms and ammunition that we need to uh, defend ourselves against the anti-gunners. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Larry Whalen from Modern Arms... At
1: the Brown Station location.
0: ...has actually brought in more firearms, and we're going to go over all, all of them uh, probably in about 20 minutes. So if, uh, if you haven't uh, uh, been paying attention, show and tell didn't happen like it usually does at its usual time. But we are going to get to it. We've already covered two of the firearms. We'll go back over those and a third. Uh, all that is is coming up. Uh, in defense of the Second Amendment, uh, that, uh, that author, Larry Correa, is a prolific author. He's written, apparently, all kinds of books. Uh, I mean, uh, science fiction, uh, even uh, engaged in humor, and Ed, uh, humorous books. It, it uh, I'm surprised that uh, I wasn't aware of his, his books. Uh, they've got terrific uh, reviews. So we'll do that in just a few minutes, and we'll also find out exactly what the pronunciation for his last name is. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you are interested in any of the firearms that we've talked about this morning, head on over to Modern Arms
1: at the Brown Station location.
0: And and you got to give Larry uh, three or four minutes to get there after the show. So
1: we'll be there soon.
0: Yeah. It's Gary on guns. Good morning. It is Gary on guns. Uh, Larry Wayland is with us from Modern Arms.
1: At the Brown Station location.
0: And uh, Scott Van Kirk, former law enforcement, firearms trainer extraordinaire. He is on board with us. Good morning, Mr. Van Kirk. Hello. Hey, uh, we are not alone. Uh, The the book is called In Defense of the Second Amendment. uh, And it's Larry Correa. And I want to make sure we're pronouncing that name correctly. Larry, welcome to the program. How are you this morning? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. We're glad to have you. Uh, would you pronounce your last name? That's Korea, just like the country. Okay. Uh, we wanted to make sure because we didn't want to... I have a, a habit of changing people's last names. and
4: Oh, uh, no worries. It's Portuguese. Once it hit Ellis Island, it just turned into Korea.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what a prolific writer you were. Uh, and you've got some series out there that are just... Uh, I mean, you're... You, you're an incredible writer, uh, an author. Uh, yeah, uh, thank you. <laughs> well, uh,
4: I, I'm mostly a fantasy and science fiction guy, but I used to be a, a firearms instructor, a CCW instructor. Uh, I was an SOT. I owned a machine gun store before I was a writer, and uh, so now I'm getting. I'm, I'm doing. A, I just did a nonfiction book about guns. So uh, kind of gone full circle, I guess. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, now, uh, Scott, you're
3: going to go to an event. Hi, Larry. Um, so. You and I are mutual friends with uh, John Johnson and uh, Melly Lauer from Citizens Defense Research.
4: Oh, fantastic. I love those guys. They're such good instructors. I have them out to my house once a year. To um, I have a range, and uh, they, they host a class here once a year.
3: Yeah, and I'm coming this May. John reached out to me this last year um, about those courses that were coming up in May, and I've already registered, and uh, I'll be making the trip out there.
4: Oh, cool. We're going to train together.
0: Hey, nice to meet you.
3: Nice to meet you as well, sir. Um, what you might want to do, Larry, is uh,
0: you know raise the price for Scott. That's that's pretty much.
1: <laughs> that's pretty standard. Yeah, you, know? well, you got to just raise the price 20 percent. You know,
0: yeah. a little extra profit there. Because uh, all right, let me ask you: what uh, what prompted you to write in defense of the Second Amendment? What was the impetus?
4: Um, it was actually the uh, the publisher's idea because the uh, the publishing house Regnery is a conservative uh, publishing house. They do a lot of political books. And it was the Bruin Supreme Court decision was coming through. And they were talking about it, and they are like, you know, we need, to get, we need a book that's in defense of the Second Amendment that goes through all the arguments and all the typical talking points of gun control and every proposal they always have. And they said, who, who do we know that would be the person to write that? Well, one of the editors used to be one of my editors when I was writing science fiction novels. He edited some of my science fiction novels, and he knew my background and uh, what I used to do for a living. And he's like, oh, I've got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so this is my passion. And, and, you know, don't tell the publisher, but I would have did this for free, obviously. I, uh, I'm a lifelong gun guy. I, uh, like I said, I'm a former SOT, uh, former CCW instructor. Uh, I shot IDPA. I shot USPSA. I shot three gun. Um, I love this stuff. This is what I do. And I, I'm, I'm a passionate uh, advocate for uh, gun rights. And so when they came to me and they said, hey, Larry, you're a good writer. We'd like you to you know, articulate some arguments here that people can use. We want a book that people could, you know, give to their friends that are on the fence or people who are thinking about getting into guns, but, you know, they're not sure. They bought into the, 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 the lame anti-constitutional arguments. You know, we want, we want something that's persuasive, you know, to help these people to kind of move the needle. And, and I, was, I was happy to do it. And uh, and I'm really proud of it. I think it came out really good. And I'm I'm, I'm hoping it does help. I hope it helps a lot of people.
0: Well, it actually could be a reference for me uh, as I host the show from time to time. uh, I'll hear from an anti-gunner. And it'd be nice to have uh, a resource uh, that I can look up because they distort facts all the time. Uh, And I I expect that's what you'll help clarify. Uh, You're right. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say many years ago, back in uh,
4: 2012, it was after Sandy Hook. Um, what it was is, uh, I wrote a article called in, uh, opinion on gun control and it went like super crazy, viral millions of hits. And what it was is I just took every single argument I saw on the internet and every single argument I saw on the news against guns, everything they're going to throw at you on the radio. And I just went through every one of them and I broke them down in detail and logic and just articulated why it doesn't work that way and what the actual stats were. Uh, and so all that is in here and so i i mean i hope it helps people who are already on our side
0: yeah uh, i hope so too um uh, we're going to go around the table and ask a few questions uh, but i'm going to start with the red flag laws uh we're all concerned about somebody whose mental capacity is such that we don't want them uh to own or, or to carry a firearm but i'm not su- i'm not sure how you you know how you know that that somebody is in that position uh, I'm not sure how you disarm them without disarming innocent people. I'm not sure how you do that without causing more harm than good. Uh, what do you What do you say about uh, red flag laws?
4: Yeah, this is a big one right now because we got federal funding. we got every state is doing something different, so they're kind of all over the board with what they do. Uh, the basic idea is like, oh, we think this guy is dangerous, and he's armed, and we want to take his guns away because we think he's going to do something bad problem with that is anybody can make the allegation, and we've got a bunch of cases already, and I include some in the book, where an innocent person who hadn't done anything wrong, had no ill intent, uh, basically just uh, somebody weaponized the law against them just to harass them. Uh, And then, sure, they get their guns back in two or three years after spending thousands and thousands of dollars on attorneys and going to court for hours. It's insane. And then you have cases where, let's say you do have an actual uh, very angry, dangerous person. Well, you came and you took his weapons away, he's still out. And and as I go into the book, most guns used in violent crime aren't legally purchased. And there's nothing stopping this guy from doing whatever horrible thing it was he was going to do. States already have an ability to, every state has laws, to commit people who are legitimately dangerous to themselves and others, but they don't usually do that because it's difficult. It's a, it's a, it's a legal process. And they think this, re- I think they think these red flags are going to be like a, a magic easy button, but they're going to get weaponized by the worst people in the world. Uh, we've seen uh, ex-wives use them on their husbands or ex-husbands because they're mad about alimony payments. Uh, we had a case in Colorado where a, a police officer shot someone in the line of duty. It was a justified shooting. And the the person that got shot, his mom red flagged the cop oh. said, I had a relationship <laughs> with this cop and he is violent and dangerous. And he still had to go through the, the process, even though he he didn't know this woman at all. Uh, it was just a revenge thing, but he still had to get dragged through this process. That's a law enforcement officer who's got connections that the rest of us don't have. And so you think about it, it's, it's going to get used by the same people who get us kicked off the internet because they don't like our... They don't like our jokes. It's, it's
0: not going to be pretty. Um, I'm going to throw one more thing out there because uh, this is one of the things that interested me That I, when I heard about you. Um, we've got this, this Supreme Court decision that it seems to be reaffirming the Second Amendment. States are going out of their ways. Blue states are going out of their way to find ways around it and banning semi-automatic rifles. You know, what does the Constitution say about semi-automatic rifles?
4: Yeah, it's like we, we we had Illinois just this last week. Yeah. Um, it, it's absurd because they I do go into the book quite a bit, like different types of guns and how they work. And I, I, I it's not a technical manual, but I get into the legalese of it. When they talk about banning semi-automatic guns, they're basically ban, they're talking about banning self-defense. Because pretty much every gun we use for self-defense is semi-automatic. I mean, there are some outliers, but most of them are. And the most popular guns in America and the most common guns in America are semi-automatic. And I'm sure your listeners, you know, know what that means. And But the problem is regular people on the street who aren't into guns, they, they hear semi-automatic and it sounds scary. Uh, and they don't understand. So I try to break that down for them. Now, constitutionally speaking, we just had the Supreme Court flat out say that guns that are useful in a militia context or guns that are common and commonly used amongst the people, like popular, common firearms, cannot just be banned. There has to be a historical precedent for why that that, that you have that ban. So all of these bans, uh, and I, I believe we're seven or nine states. I can't remember who it is now, but uh, or how many it is now. But they have these bans in place on semi-autos, and they're blatantly unconstitutional, and they're all getting sued by you know Second Amendment Foundation, FPC. Um, they're all filing lawsuits against these places. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, because the bad part is in the meantime, while this is working its way through the courts, regular people are going to get rolled up in this. They're going to get in trouble. People who don't know any better are going to get in trouble with the law. Um, I mean, as you all know, we had a huge thing drop yesterday. Um, I tried to read 293 pages of new ATF (laughs) regulations last night. Oh, my gosh. I'm dumber for doing it <laughs> <laughs> how,
1: how, how many contradictions did you see in there oh my gosh
4: like just just trying to skim it because you know that's a lot of reading I, I it was the the point system thing where like this is a brace and this is not a brace but if you hold it wrong it's a brace this is not a brace <laughs> but if the marketing materials make it sound like it's a rifle then it's a rifle so it's real quantifiable
1: and, and easy to follow yeah
4: Oh my gosh! I think I think part of the, I think the ATF made it confusing on purpose. That way, if they want to bust you, they can bust you. Is what it is. It's a setup. Yeah. Um. It, they're, they're, they took millions of law-abiding citizens, and they just made us felons. Well, here's a here's the crazy part though. Okay, so we keep up on this stuff. Guys like us, you know, we train, we we take classes, we we keep up, we we buy lots of guns. We're gonna we're gonna stay ahead of the law. But let's say you have some lady who went into Cabela's 10 years ago and she bought a brace gun because it was nice and light and handy. Um, She doesn't keep up on this stuff. She doesn't listen to the radio shows. How is she going to know? She's now walking around with a felony that's a 10-year mandatory prison sentence. Yeah. Uh, And she doesn't know any better. And some ATF, agent, an agency known for its calm and nuance. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a
0: minute. we talk about who, who what, what are we talking about? Yeah, Larry, can you hang on? Because I'm up against the clock. My producer is insisting uh, on taking a commercial break. I guess he doesn't want his paycheck to bounce. Uh, But if you'll hang on, we'll bring you right back. The book is called In Defense of the Second Amendment. On Gary on Guns. Hey, welcome! Glad to have you with us on Gary on Guns. Uh, By the way, I got to do this very quickly uh, because uh, Larry Whalen from Modern Arms at the
1: Brown Station location
0: brought in three terrific firearms. We told you about the Sig Sauer P three sixty five, or if you're dyslexic, the three fifty six. Either way, Uh, either way, Uh, we told you about that one. Uh, We also told you about his uh, the Sig Sauer P three twenty two. Yeah, but we have one.
1: I want to talk about the Rex Zero. So the the Rex Zero is a beautiful nine millimeter pistol made in Slovenia, the finest Slovenian gun, um, guns I'm aware of, and well, by far, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it's very reminiscent of the the Sig P226, um, same size gun as that. Um, manual safety so it can be carried cocked and locked with a manual it's a, safety it's a double single it's yeah decocking lever and um the decocking levers is also the slide release so it, it's very a very nice gun. This is a gun that's brand new. We've had this in for a little bit, so we've increased the um, the offering. The, the price remains still at six forty five, but I've added a uh, a green anodized O light for tactical illumination. We've added a range bag as well as uh, hearing protection and eye protection. And this is a great pistol. Makes somebody a, a, a good range gun. Priced at six forty five. And, and you
0: have a Smith and Wesson Bodyguard thirty eight Special. It's used. Uh, that's a terrific revolver. Yes, it is. And we uh, got for- through him. We made it. There you go. We got through it. Now we- <laughs> back to Larry. Yeah, back to Larry. We left him uh, sort of uh, sitting on the sidelines. Uh, Larry, welcome back. Glad to have you with us. Glad to be here. Uh, all right. So uh, Larry's book is in defense of the Second Amendment. And uh, you, you, you think we can return to a society that has a safe and healthy relationship with guns. I don't, I don't know. You, I have no yes. idea how you get there
4: well it's a cultural thing and i think we're seeing a cultural shift and i talk about this in the book uh, a bit but you know remember back to the riots um where society was you know having a lot of problems the the we had the police standing down we had a lot of cities on fire and people a lot of americans for the first time had to come to the realization that they were on their own now uh, now gun people you know we've already kind of come to terms with that we're 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 expecting to rely upon ourselves. But a lot of people they think, oh, the state's going to come save me. Well, what we saw was gun sales during that period just went nuts. I um, mean, we've seen the stats, we've seen the the NICS checks numbers.
2: Uh, and people yeah, bought first, a lot of guns.
1: First-time gun buyers were just through the roof during that time because they realized that the state wasn't wasn't there to protect them. And um, you know, that's what we saw at the retail gun counter for sure.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And it wasn't it, it was interesting too because um I was talking to my local gun dealer the same thing. Is he he'd done more 4473s in a couple months than he had in the prior year. And He had a good year. Yeah. And it was it wasn't it wasn't us it wasn't our people because, you know, you know, times of crisis, we, we got ours.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it, w- it was nice to, to welcome all these new people to the community, you know, and, and try to get them plugged in with a good trainer and, and get them plugged in with, you know, places where they can shoot and, and get them embraced by, by, the, find, by the advocates, you try know. Try and
3: find them ammo. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to the day when we can sell you a bullet to shoot through your rifle. <laughs>
4: And i I, I thought a lot of people about the joys of dry fire, yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: yeah.
4: <laughs> but, but we, we we saw it we saw this we saw this increase, and we saw a lot of people kind of like have that moment where they they realize and they learn and we're seeing a lot of people who, the demographics have changed too, and uh they the anti gun people always try to portray this as like you know this yeehaw cowboy kind of thing and i'm 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 saying this from the mountains of rural Utah i'm out here in you know Yellowstone, Longmire, country myself, but uh, they're 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 trying to portray it as this you know this country boy kind of thing, and it's really not. It's the Second Amendment is for everybody. It is for all Americans. It is for everyone. Uh, it, it doesn't discriminate. If you want to defend yourself, that is your God given right. And I think a lot of people came to that, and we're seeing growing numbers of people. Uh, who are kind of from non-traditional backgrounds who are like, oh wow, hey, self-defense is for me too. And so I think that's really helping. I think we're seeing a cultural shift where guns are becoming more normalized in a larger percentage uh, of the population in different groups. So I'm actually really hopeful for the future. I don't know about you guys, but I am.
0: Well, I've seen uh, the vicissitudes of uh, the mindset, uh, and and so I'm not not 100% sure, but I sure hope you're right. But I do look forward to getting uh, getting your book in defense of the Second Amendment, uh, and then I'm going to send it to you, and you're going to autograph it for me, right?
4: No problem. Actually, yeah. Uh, really, uh, like if you're having people come to my house to train, I'll sign everybody's books and oh. send a case back to Missouri. Sweet. <laughs> well, I've,
1: thanks, Scott. I'll, I'll put
4: it on my packing thanks, Larry. list. <laughs> <laughs> Are
3: you going to be at uh, TACCON this year, Larry?
4: uh no yeah i've never been to tacon yet uh mm. I, I need to i it's because I know i'm friends with uh, some a uh, bunch of the guys that uh are always the you know finalists in the man on man shoot now i i, I want to take a shot at that one of these years you know uh uh yeah I, i've heard i've heard nothing but good about it though
3: okay well uh, maybe maybe next year
4: yeah i uh this year i'm doing a, a matt and rob hot shotgun class. Uh, I'm doing John Johnston's uh, tested standards again, and I'm I'm trying to this summer go take a Gabe White pistol class.
3: Oh, Gabe's so. a, Gabe's amazing. I uh, was in his Gabe's course here in Central Missouri with John and Melody, and Chuck Haggard was also there. And uh, that guy's on a different plane of Gabe's on a different plane of existence, and I mean that in the best possible way. All right, listen, yeah, I'm, I, I'm so
0: fast. I'm fast running out of time. Korea, you got to come back on the program. We've had great oh, yeah, fun. Anytime.
4: Great, we've uh, had I'm, great. I, let me know. I'm happy to. I, I love Missouri too, by the way, guys. So I'm I'm happy to happy to come on anytime.
0: And we have the Second Amendment Preservation Act here. Uh, the book is in defense of the Second Amendment. It's Larry Korea, uh, C O R R E I A, but it's pronounced Korea, uh, and he's got a plethora of other books out there that you might want to read, too, especially if you're into sci-fi because he did a lot of that. Larry, thank you.
4: Thanks very much. Appreciate it, guys.
0: All right. Take care. Uh, All right. uh, So uh, we had uh, several firearms that we talked about from Modern Arms. At the Brown Brown Station Station location. location. And uh, they will be... uh, You guys, the doors will be open in just a few minutes.
1: Yep. I'll be back with the guns here in about 10 minutes.
0: So, yeah, uh, I've already notified law enforcement to put radar out. (laughs)
1: I'll drive safe.
0: Thanks, guys, for being on board. Whatever it is in life that you want, go out and get it. Don't wait for the government to drop it in your lap. You make it happen. You seize the day. Carpe diem. Gwen, baby. Honey, I'm coming home.